Hello, and welcome to another episode of Artbox. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I talk to Julie Brookman. Julie works with Acoustic Paints. If you don't know, Acoustic Paint is wax with pigment that's heated up and then painted on a surface to form a painting. We talk about her process with Acoustic Paints and as well as her start into it. We also talk about her series, Sodity, and the story behind that. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. I thank you for, for oh, taking no, the time. Oh, no, I'm super stoked. So how did you get your start in the arts? I, well, I come from a long line. My grandmother was an artist. Her mother was an artist. My dad was an artist. My mom is very crafty. Um, it's kind of in the blood a bit. My grandmother was a pretty, like, she made um, pretty modern paintings. She went to the Art Institute in Chicago. She had a show at the SF MoMA in the 60s, so she was, a real artist, not just like a dabbler in it. And her mom painted things like little cows on the hill. <laughs> but <laughs> my grandmother painted um, abstract, um, I don't know how to describe it, blobs of paint <laughs> that don't represent or don't look like anything that they are, but they're gorgeous. She was very in influenced by jo Joseph Albers and that whole school of color theory and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so then you basically just kind of picked up the mantra as well, getting into the arts. You've just been always around it. I was never told that it wasn't a good way to make a living. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, wow. Nobody ever like suggested, oh, you should take some other classes. It was just like, of course you're going to take art classes because yeah. that's what you're, I mean, I loved it. It was never, I don't know, I, it was just never even, that's just what I did. I love your parents already. <laughs> I think I'm the only person whose parents never said, like, maybe you should take, like, a business class or a marketing class. They were always like, yes, more glass blowing, more jewelry making, more pottery, more whatever, because they, they're very supportive of, of this. Of course, when I graduated college and <laughs> had to actually pay for myself is a whole other thing. But, yeah. um, you know, yeah. it worked out. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> so. After college, I worked at a jewelry store and I um, started working for, I worked for a couple of photographers doing like, I, my degree was in photography. So I blew glass in college and did photography and the, the photography kind of paid for the glass and the glass yeah. was my real passion. Yeah. And the photography was a way to eat. Um, and so I did a lot of commercial kind of work. I, I worked for the World Affairs Council photographing really famous dignitaries and authors and I got to meet some pretty cool people like uh, Madeline Albright and Nicholas Christoph and some people who um, Muhammad Yunus I mean some really neat influential um, you know I got to be right there and it definitely made me more interested in politics and the bigger picture of um, where things and I would have probably never had that opportunity if somebody hadn't said hey you can take pictures why don't you do this so I did that for a few years and then I injured my hands. Uh oh. I was doing that while I was glass blowing. I was my work, I was selling it at like the local museum gift shops and things like that, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, super big. I loved glass blowing. And then I injured my hands and I couldn't really do either. Um, and then I had a kid and I kind of the young mom thing where you just are with baby all the time. And I was watching some YouTube videos and I came across encaustic painting and I was like, this looks cool. I'm gonna try it. So I did. So I only took a couple painting classes in college. I was kind of afraid of painting because my grandmother was the painter in the family and she sort of hard to keep up with somebody who's so awesome that I didn't want to even try. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I kind of avoided it. 
and most of my education was like sculptural, like welding and sawing and doing these sorts of things. But hands just really don't like that kind of work anymore. So I came to the encaustic and it was honestly the perfect mix between photography and glass blowing for me because there's fire and there's a little bit of danger with heat and things like that. And then you're really capturing a moment like you can in photography. I like that mix. So it was knowing when to stop or knowing when to keep going with the painting. And the encaustic painting is also, it's good for people who are impatient, who don't want to wait for paint to dry. And I'm definitely in that category. So you just torch it and it's done. Yeah. I always (laughs) said that about acrylic, but you're right. That does definitely up the game. (laughs) Yeah. It's like you just... It's just waiting for it to cool. Right. And the motions of encaustic painting are very similar that in glass blowing where you've got, you know, if you, you don't have a lot of time and so you have to think quick and do work quickly. And I definitely enjoy that. Yeah. I'm not the kind of person who overworks something. I'm kind of like, okay, I'm done. Although, I mean, everybody makes mistakes and, you know, not, but I I definitely am a, a quick worker. Yeah. Well, how, how many layers does it take to make a piece? Does it just depend on what you have in mind or, or something else? It depends on the piece. You know, I start with kind of an underpainting and then I, it just kind of depends on how it goes. And I don't know exactly how many layers because as I work, I'm fusing them together a lot. I don't know, 20, 30. It just depends on the parts. <laughs> um, mm, I see. So, and I build it up kind of like um, I start with the sand parts with those kind of paintings and I do the water over that. And so it layers different layers um, in between the different, the sandy kind of parts and the water parts so that they, so it actually looks like water and waves more realistically because it actually is doing what water does naturally where there's flow and there's different depths to it. Right. Do you pick up the pieces too, to help kind of give some suggestion or do you hands off and just let it run where it needs to run? Oh, no, I'm painting. I mean, it's not, uh, I mean, (laughs) it doesn't just go where it wants to go. I mean, sometimes it doesn't. Oftentimes it's fixing that word. (laughs) Uh, When it goes where it wants to go, it doesn't look nice. It looks like it's dripping off the canvas uh, uh, or the panel. Right. Uh, So, no, it's it's the balance of, um, but letting it go where it, where I want it to go, but not, you know, every now and then you overheat it and it all drips on the floor or on the dog or (laughs) not. This is when they get thicker because I have to fix it. Right. Um, so. So yeah, so then, so. how much is a, a brush and and like a flame technique important for this? Is it very important, very little important, or trial and error? So you heat the wax. I you you can buy really fancy palettes. I just use hot plates that are like for pancake griddles because they're good and they hold more. Uh, of paint and so you you heat the wax and then you brush it on with the paintbrush sometimes i just pour the wax on if i'm wanting like a solid amount of color or like if it's a really big panel sometimes i dump it on and smear it around with the paintbrush and then i um you have to fuse each layer with the torch or with a heat gun depending on the size of the panel if it's a really big one i use this ginormous torch it's super fun it's actually a glass blowing torch so it kind (laughs) of goes back to my Glass blowing roots. Yeah. Um, it's it's a beautiful torch. Um, or I just use like those kitchen torches that sushi restaurants use to heat your tuna. Um, oh wow! <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's sort of both ends. Or I use a heat gun, depending if it's really really little. The heat gun is all you need. I have a fear of heat guns because I I blew a breaker one time and caught my carpet on fire, and so I, <laughs> I, I I take them more seriously than I do the open flame. Yeah. Um, yeah. A personal experience. No, I won't make that mistake ever again. So you move the the wax 
uh, first I melt it on and then I actually move it in. Um, you, you can, when on the blowtorch thing, you can make it have more fire pressure and it's kind of like a huh. burst of air. Yeah. And that can allow the waves to move like actual ocean waves. More. Wow. Okay. It's well, hard to describe, but it really looks like water on the shore. Yeah. Um, it, uh, well, I was going to say on your on your website, <laughs> you have someone who did a, a, a mini documentary on on your process. Yeah, Peter Foley did a cool thing. He's a he does video work and things like that, and he he helped me out with that, and it was kind of fun because we then we ruined it at the end because <laughs> it was purely just for. Um, but you can kind of see how the process works a bit with that. Yeah, it definitely gives you a rough idea of, of the process because I, I was just amazed. That's why I asked the question, how many layers does it take to make a piece? Because in that thing, you definitely had multiple layers going on. And just when I thought you were finished, yeah. you added another layer. And it, <laughs> it, and it looked just as good as the last layer. It's like, geez, you can go on forever, I, I guess. I'd... Yeah, there's a lot of um, – and then the more you get, the more depth you have in the water so it can – it can be really interesting with, you know, with surgy water, you can have it look like there's bubbles underneath and, you know, a wave breaking over another wave or something like that. It, it can really, it really captures the subject for sure, this medium. Yeah, I never knew that you can go this level of crazy with this you know, and realistic with it. Uh, definitely, it looks like it is, as we talked about before, a lot of your images do look like they're a drone in the sky or someone took a helicopter or an airplane and took pictures of shorelines. They're fantastic. Yeah. Well, except for Hyacinth, that one looks like I mean, it was out in the ocean. That's definitely what I'm trying to do. Right before you get to Hawaii and all the waves start to congregate. So, <laughs> but most of them look like, <laughs> yeah, most of them do look like they're, um, you know, uh, on a shore. Yeah. I, those are the more popular ones. So I make more of those, but I, I really like the ones where it's like a little snapshot of the rougher waters. My husband doesn't like it as a surfer because he's like, oh, I don't know where the water's going. It's too stormy. It's bad waves. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I like the shore ones that I think have the most success are when I'm really thinking about like, how is the wave going to come in? I, I, I took a lot of geology classes in college and I took a lot of oceanography classes and I worked as a dive instructor and I'm married to a surfer. So like when, when you're married to a surfer, you never look at the waves. Like, oh, it's pretty. You look at the wind direction and you look at how it's forming. And yeah. is this something that he's going to go surfing on and I'm going to be waiting for a while on the beach for him to come in? <laughs> you, don't, you can't just look at the pretty waves anymore. You look at how it's forming and it's a lot more technical than just, oh, it's pretty. So I definitely have that influence of um, understanding what makes something break or, you know. Kind of. That that shows, and and he also kind of ruined <laughs> it for the romanticism of waves. But hey, you know, I think it was for a good cause. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of ruined me because I'm like, oh, you know, you, you don't look at the beauty, you look at why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and for me, I don't actually like waves at all. It's just kind of a silly part of this whole. I I like scuba diving, <laughs> which is no waves at all. You don't want any white water no, at you don't. all. You want it to be flat and yes. waveless. Yeah. A lot of this is, you know, me kind of dealing with my fear. <laughs> oh, well. From afar. Um, but. At least you're dealing with the fear. Some people don't do that at all. So, I mean, you, you know, <laughs> give credit where credit is due. So uh, with with this, this is a series. And, and what's the series called again? It's 
called Saudade. Saudade. I don't speak Portuguese. I've been to Portugal and I love Portugal. And the the Brazilian Portuguese, if you uh, use translate, it'll say it it's pronounces it differently. It's Saudade or something. But the word is a really powerful word for me because it really captured what I was trying to express in all of our travels and things like that. We've been to a lot of places and we've seen a lot of things and a lot of those places won't exist anymore or will be underwater or will be, they're gone because they are developed and they're not this pristine, beautiful place that I saw. Yeah. Um, and so the Saudade, it's a it, the word came from the Portuguese sailors going off to sea and people would have Saudade for their loved ones that were off traveling. So it's there's a little bit of melancholy in it. There's a little bit of, it's not directly translatable into English. So it's one of those cool words that like we just don't have in our language. And it, it's about memory and it's about like longing and it's about you, you won't see the person again or the place or the thing. And so a lot of my work is about that because I, I work from memory. So it's not, I'm not looking at the actual thing. I'm trying to capture it also came from me trying to like photograph these waves and it was never, it didn't create the feeling that photograph didn't capture it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was never the same. It was always different. And yeah. so I was, I'd walk my dog or I'd look at it and it was always different every single time. So that was part of it too. Well, and I was going to say with a, with a camera, you only get a certain kind of perspective, but with this work, you're able to pick any kind of perspective you want. You know, uh, like a horizon yeah. or above or below, if you want to do below, you know. So this I has... really like the above view because I think, feel like it gives it a little bit of distance, but you can also phys- imagine being there too. I like to imagine your, your toes are in the water or you're sort of up high above kind of in a more godly view. And uh, I think it can kind of do both at the same time. And that, again, is part of that word of, you know, taking you back there and reminding you of home or some other place that you're longing for or that I'm longing for. (laughs) Um, All the places I've gone, the most influential was when I was living in Borneo. And a lot of those places are, they will never be what they were when I was there because it's now developed and it's a place where climate change is definitely affecting um, (laughs) because they were like little islands, barely out of the water. And now they are, you know, Reefs. Going in a direction of being yeah. very much under the water. Yeah, that is <laughs> so. true. So, well, it's true. I well, mean, <laughs> the other series that really I wanted to ask you about, uh, kind of more of the what's the concept behind this, is your your porthole series that you've done. Uh, is the idea to try to like transport to someone to another time and place, or is it just a, an idea of just looking through literally a porthole? <sighs> I think it's sort of a continuation of the Saudade stuff or Saudade work. I like the idea of like a little view hmm. out, out the window or down at the water. Yeah. I think it was also just, I like the shape of the canvas. It was a little different. Yeah. That's not <laughs> the most intellectual way to look at well, it. No. I mean, brown um, is, I, there's, not, there's not many out there that people like to use brown. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I just thought it was different and yeah, it just made a little window to other places. Well, one of my porthole favorites that you have is, is a porthole 109. And, and that one reminds me of one of the Saturn's moons. And I, I really like that piece because it does remind me. And that's why I kind of asked if it's like looking out of a portal, like, you know, of some kind of space and time type of thing, you know, you're looking at your other pieces, it definitely feels like you're looking out at a time and place like what we, what we just talked about. Then I saw this one that looked different than all of those. And I started thinking of Saturn's moon. And that is definitely looking out into a portal, you know, so. Oh, my God, they totally look like moons. I never thought about that. Yeah, I, Sorry. <laughs> I, 
Oh, there might be some space influence. My daughter's really into nebulas, and she wants to be an astronaut currently, so some of this might be seeping in. Well, I, I hope I hope she becomes an astronaut. <laughs> you know, I, I really do. I started a, some newer ones. I don't know if you saw it. There's some ones that are about stars and about. I was going to have a show um, in the desert, and I they asked for not water work, which was a little bit of a challenge for me because ninety percent right. of my work is about water. So I was right. like, okay, and so I started kind of a whole new series and it was really liberating to not paint waves and I started doing these stars in the sky and it was dark night oh, I love them and they've got gold and metal powders and I'm really excited about that work too but it's you know totally different direction and then sometimes it's good to just do something different and not get stuck in the routine of making the same things over and over again. I really like the experiment of making new. Right. No, I don't blame you. You got to, you know, it keeps you uh, on your toes. Definitely does. Because if you get yeah. too comfortably numb, then it just starts reflecting in the work. I, I can well, it just really... starts to be production. And yeah. I don't want to make production work. I want to make individual pieces that feel special. And for me, when I'm just making the same the kind of thing over and over again it's just not very interesting that's definitely part of it so I, I did these ones that were again aerial views of desert being shaped by water because water in the desert is actually just as powerful or more powerful than anything else it carves mountains and it, it definitely shapes our especially in the southwest here in america it definitely it's a big factor in in how the landscape is so I, there's a whole bunch of new ones about that what kind of symbols or ideas that go through your mind when you are prepping to do a piece while you're doing a piece and then after doing a piece, uh, reflecting upon it? I'm not that intellectual when I work. I'm just making <laughs> it and it comes and then I stick it on my wall and look at it for a bit and then I decide if it's done ah. or not. And if it's not done, there'll be some part that bothers me. Yeah, uh, It's very intuitive how I work. It's not, I mean, I kind of have an idea of what I'm trying to do. I play when I'm painting. It's a very playful process. A lot of it with this new step work, it's a little bit experimental because I'm pouring things on and seeing what happens. <laughs> no, that looks ugly. Let me cover it here and have some other layers here. And I like this part, but this part's ugly. So I'm going to put something else over it. And it that's how I work. Fair enough. So I don't plan it out. And this is what it's going to look like. It's a little bit more... Let's see what happens. Yeah, that is not but, a, that's you know, nothing wrong with that. As I make more, it's, I have a little more control, but the newer stuff is definitely a little bit more of an experiment. Well, uh, that's awesome, honestly. I, I, I like that when you push your own envelope personally. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in like the process more. For me, it's the act of making is what's interesting. Yeah. And once it becomes a thing you put on your wall, I mean, I've got a lot of my paintings on my wall and a lot <laughs> of paintings on other people's walls, but I'm very happy when people take them home with them because that makes it so that I have room for new ones. Yes, <laughs> I, I hear you on that front. More yeah, it's about I, owning. My my wall space is getting is very full of of my work too. So, <laughs> and, and, and yeah. There's, there's, and what kind of work do you do? Oh, uh, my work. It, yeah, <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, my work is more of a figurative kind of cartoonish work, and um, uh-huh. like you, I'm not a. I, I like oil paint, but I I really prefer acrylic because it's a little faster. But I need a little more uh-huh. t- time, you know, in order to work in a little more shadow and detail. But uh, that that's what yeah. I've been doing for quite some time and a little busy doing a radio show called Artbox. So yeah. <laughs> when that, when that it's stops. It's very hard to make work. People don't realize how much work is involved in 
like maintaining an artist's website. And yeah. I know that mine, like I almost all the pieces are sold and I need to take them off, but I have to do it. And it's, it's difficult because <laughs> like you my said, favorite part of the job, right. Oh, or yeah. photographing it or updating Instagram or all these things yeah. are, it's, it's part of the, part of the reason why you have to sell things for a certain price is because things, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Um, it is. It, as an artist, you have to be, you have to create things and then you also have to be really good at marketing and, and, and I, I, it's hard. It's a lot. So I'm very thankful for my galleries who do a lot of this for me. Right. Shout out, shout out to all of them. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, when you went to art school, you know, you weren't training to basically be a marketer. You were training to be an artist, you know, to learn your craft and to learn the motivations of the craft. I definitely think that there needs to be more of a focus on how to actually because you graduate from school and you you don't really know how to talk to galleries and you don't really know how to make commercially viable work. You're making kooky art school work, which is awesome and it's liberating, but a lot of the things you make are not, you know, they're junk to sit on your mom's coffee table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and we all have some of that or junk to sit on your mom's wall because she's the only one who loved it. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, although I do have some cool things that came out of college. I, I made some work that was about plastic bags. That work, it's not on the website or anything like that, but I, I feel like it was important and it's still relevant even though it's not current. I, basically, I'm just doing the same concepts of what I came back from school and did. I'm just making a little bit more... Um, accessible to people because nobody really wants a picture of a plastic bag on their wall because um, it's not. <laughs> Be surprised. Um, so, I mean, if but, someone's willing to pay for a banana, the work still has the same content in it. Yeah. It's just prettier to look at, and yeah, I think it's it's more pleasing. Well, so with that, uh, what what kind of advice would would have you given your past self or to others? Then, with that being said, that we just talked about. Oh, that's a good question. I did have a professor that it was like a turning point in my art making practice. Um, Cause before I would focus on making one and I had a professor who, a glassblowing professor who it actually the two glassblowing professors that helped me the most <laughs> were um, Nate Watson. And he had me make a hundred of something. And I think if you shift your mind from making one to making a hundred, by the time you make the hundredth one, you're pretty good. But when you start off, the first one's kind of junk. Yeah. Um, so that that active re- repetition is really important. Um, and then I had another glassblowing professor that John Layton, who I recently died, which was very sad for me. Um, but he really encouraged people to draw and to look at artwork outside of your own medium. And I think those are two... Because like glass blowers tend to just look at glass yeah. and it's not, they just copy the things that are being made already. And photographers, they look at photographs and they make more rocks and trees or more whatever that are similar to the people. And I think that if, if photographers looked at paintings more and painters looked at photographs more or sculptures or things like that, work would be more interesting. Um, and I personally like more multidiscipline approaches. So do I. I don't, you know, I always labeled myself as a creative. So that's the kind of advice that um, I, I, I would definitely take that, your advice on that. Look, look at other, other mediums of work, not just stick in your own vein. Look at other stuff. That is, yeah. that is true. And just practice, 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 practice. And practice. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I still practice drawing every day myself. You know, some days I spend a lot of time doing it. Some days I can only spend maybe 20 minutes doing it, but I make it do it every day because it's like if people exercise every day, well, you might as well be doing the same thing, just drawing. Yeah, I don't exercise every day or draw every day, but I <laughs> should do both. <laughs> January full New Year resolutions. This might be one of them. <laughs> I haven't gotten that far yet. Well, that's okay. Yeah, well, slow your roll. Or two of them. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you just got back from vacation, so don't uh, – <laughs> one thing at a time, right? Yeah. I also um, – I think pausing for – and not – like, it's okay to – that's part of my – my practice really is – the traveling is part of my practice. And I – you know, when I went – when I go places, I don't make work. I might doodle with my daughter or watercolor on the beach or something like that, but I'm – I'm, I'm taking a break from it and I'm looking and I'm seeing and I'm experiencing and I try to put my phone down and be more present and see. And I think that going to other places, um, I do document things on my phone, but I often like I'm not available. And I think that pulling away and just being experiencing the world allows you to see it in a different way than when you do in your everyday, you know, you just kind of, you don't look. Um, and so going new places really helps me see things differently. Right. The, the work that I did from the desert was I did a few pieces that are about, um, we went to Switzerland and we saw glaciers melting and I loved looking at all the, the rocks and stuff from the rivers that were flowing. And I did a couple pieces about that, that were, you know, about like, they, I was trying to paint like glacial runoff or like melting ice. And it, I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't have like sat there at the glacier looking at the water for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that's a good part of the practice. I, I, I would agree with that. I really, I do. Cause you have to look at nature at some point cause it's, it's, yeah. or, I mean, it's not or look at a person or whatever you're, if you're doing figurative work, I think just looking at how the shadows lays or how, yeah. And actually seeing it and it, not just like, you know, moving on past the next Instagram slide. <laughs> <laughs> that's true too. I think we yeah. all, we look at so much imagery that sometimes you don't actually look at it. You just glance and you don't actually see. No. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I definitely am guilty of that. Some, there are times where something just does grab me and I do stop and really start looking at it. And uh, to the much of the chagrin, whoever is with me. But um, but there are times <laughs> where it's like I need I want to look at this longer, but I can't. But Yeah, uh, like I definitely said, like it, in Miami. It was there was so much to consume. I yeah. felt physically exhausted. You couldn't really look at anything. You had to just kind of run past everything so you could see the next thing. And there wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity to slow down and really like pause and absorb it. It was just to the next, to the next, to the next, because yeah. there was so much quantity to see. And I, I was exhausted. Like visually, my brain was like spinning. Yeah. That's, uh, that's <laughs> so. art fair fatigue that you had. That is, that is what art, art fair yeah, fatigue. I for mean. Sure. Yeah. That it's, it's, it happens to everybody. Uh, I, I've learned yeah. to kind of just slow down. And also I end up talking to a lot of the people in the booth or booths and that. You that, don't see anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I end up like being too focused on one painting, but not like you said, you see the other ones that they had in the booth. I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's yeah, really absolutely. great conversations to have too, because then you get a chance to one-on-one yeah. one figure out uh, why they're doing the work. And, and I love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah, there's a lot of softer work that doesn't get, I feel like the art fair stuff, the thing that gets noticed is the big, bold, shiny things and a lot of the softer more subtle work really it's not the right venue for things that need to be quieter 
Um, I can see that. I can see what you mean. Yeah, there were a few of them that you yeah, that really kind of fade in the background. And there were other booths or other art that really did stick out that, you know, like, okay, I got to go look at that, you know. Yeah, yeah. There was, what was your favorite thing that you saw? Ooh, wow. Uh-huh. I loved everything that I saw. No, you don't love everything. There's junk. Come on. <laughs> I No, I loved everything. Some of the things that stuck out with me uh, were uh, some video work because especially in art fairs, it's really difficult to try to capture video work in that environment. And, you know, like at Pulse, they had the artist where he basically had all his, you know, Art in America and Art News magazines and was burning, you know, basically every one of them. And which I didn't know I this. That. Yeah, that was, that I was, where was that? I, um, that? I forgot now. It definitely was something that it was like an 18 hour film. And of course, you don't have, you know, wow. can't watch all of it. But that one was pretty cool. And it turns out that some of the issues that he had that he was burning these publications don't even have themselves anymore so that was pretty interesting oh my god yeah wow that's pretty neat it's sort of like iowa breaking the ancient pottery <laughs> right kind of it was like, kind of gone yeah. Never again. Never again. And basically what he was trying to say is have a critique about current art criticism where it used to have print media be the, the driving force. Now there's not so much. I mean, it's yeah. modern a modern way of, of critiquing art. And I don't critique art. I just interview artists. Yeah. Uh, another thing that really stuck out with me was basically a lot of the themes that I've noticed, environmental themes, and I noticed a lot of guns, gun themes or gun yeah. violence that was stuck out at a lot of the fairs that I went to. And I mean, it's definitely, you know, the popular culture definitely seeps into this and oh um, right and if it didn't yeah, I, the, I would have been upset by it actually but. yeah at untitled there was a artist that was i can't remember the artist's name but she does she like videotaped herself crossing i guess the rio grande or i can't remember crossing a body of water from into america so it was either crossing the rio grande or crossing from cuba i can't remember but it was like this performance piece she did and it was like photographs of that or maybe they were paintings can't remember <laughs> but the content yeah. was really beautiful and it was they were beautiful images and then you had this other layer of you know this political content that is important i liked it because they were pretty <laughs> and same with um, what is it zaria foreman her work is yeah. super cool because you know she's got these gorgeous glaciers and they're so beautiful and her work is talking about these bigger issues that are, but she somehow manages to make it look beautiful while she's doing it. And I, I, I would like seeing her work too. She's one of, and there, there's a couple other people where like I'm friends with them on Instagram and it was cool to get to meet them in person and find out that like, Oh, we live right near each other or, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. It was cool. I enjoyed it. Well, speaking of Untitled, there was uh, one booth that had, uh, I think he was a Polish artist who basically had uh, uh, the, the gallery represented show the work of his stuff, that religious ionography where, you know, you had the, the saints with the, the gold leaf uh, halos around them. But his subject matters uh -huh. were like uh, Jeff Bezos and uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And, <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. Um, I had to. I got there like forty-five minutes, and I only had forty-five minutes to look in there. Yeah. And so I didn't see that. I, that sounds cool. There was one there that had the guy like made a rug out of like a hypodermic needle. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. All this texture. It was really pretty. Uh, there was some cool, and there was another one with uh, text that. I don't, there was, it's again you like swim with I don't remember anybody's name or anything like that I right. grab the card and hopefully I remember <laughs> yeah. by the time I get home what it was I saw but sometimes it just doesn't sink in but yeah there was some really neat 
powerful work there. I think that was probably my favorite show because it was a little smaller and you could kind of actually breathe in there a bit. But mm. I was also there at the end of the day and everybody was probably leaving. And I liked how physically the space was felt more open, which I liked a lot. But I liked the location of, of Pulse too. That was really fun to be right on the beach and, oh, yeah, you that... know, Miami so fancy <laughs> fabulous <laughs> not fancy but it's just you know over the top everything that's so south beach for you yeah cool. well uh with with that um it, i wanted to kind of wrap this up so because i know you and i could probably talk all day about this because the <laughs> because i can go through each fair and probably find something that that, that i did like but i don't think we have enough time for that oh and i went to aqua too that yeah. was you know i like the little the little venue of that yeah fun. that one aqua's funky i mean it, it is pretty cool you go yeah. into the, the hotel rooms and it's it's kind of very contemporary up-and-coming starting artist in there and and i i would recommend that one too to anyone i want to say thank you to julie for taking the time to do the interview if you want to see julie's work and learn more about julie you can go to her website at juliebrookman.com and you can go to her Instagram page at Julie Brookman, all one word. And don't forget to check out Artbox's website for this episode and past episodes at artboxdnv.com and the Instagram page at artboxdnv. Until next time, thank you for listening.